US stocks surged again overnight to fresh record highs on confidence about a soft landing in the United States. That's in contrast with stocks in China, which slumped the most in 18 months to new 20-year lows on worries about deflation and capital outflows. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, ANZ's chief economist for Greater China, Raymond Yoon, takes a closer look at the growing numbers of unemployed migrant workers in China's cities and maps out what that means for wage deflation in the world's second largest economy. China lost 2 million people in terms of the total populations. But at the same time, we also know that um, the uh, labor market is under very strong cyclical downturn, which means that unemployment is actually very high. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, US stocks surged again overnight to fresh record highs on growing confidence about that soft landing in the United States. But it was the exact opposite in China, where stocks slumped another 2.4%, 20-year lows, on worries about deflation and capital leaving the country. There are reports this morning that China's authorities are orchestrating intervention to support the yuan and buy local stocks. However, the US dollar was steady overnight and US Treasury yields nudged only a few basis points lower. That meant the Aussie and Kiwi dollars were also broadly unchanged at 65.88 US cents for the Aussie and 61.03 US cents for the Kiwi. That's at 5am Sydney Melbourne time. Number two, one feature in economic and financial markets news overnight was a sharper than expected fall in Taiwan export orders in December, 16% down. Here's ANZ economist Bunzi Madhavani talking this morning from London. What we think is playing out is uh, continued weak demand and also destocking that's hampering orders demand. There seems to be a wait and watch sentiment towards equipment investments specifically. Um, Just in terms of going forward, the Ministry of Economic Affairs also cautioned that the first quarter of this year could be an off-season for electronics, but we expect orders momentum to pick up after that on the back of demand for artificial intelligence, high-performance computing, and in general leading semiconductor chips. Number three, China's banks left their one-year and five-year lending rates on hold yesterday. That was expected. But it's also in the face of calls from overseas for stimulus and worries there about deflation. Here's ANZ Chief Economist for Greater China, Raymond Yung, on why China's state-owned banks aren't cutting rates. They don't want to cut their profit margins. They really want to have some breathing space instead of cutting the rate immediately to echo the macroeconomic concern. By the policymaker, they do need to look at their banking profitability and also the financial stability reality. So I think that's a reason we can justify why China has not uh, cut the interest rate despite the strong deflationary pressure. Number four, in Australia, consumers are still being very careful with their spending after a year of rising interest rates and cost of living pressures. ANZ's observed retail spending figures for December showed in particular that spending on fashion was weak over the various sales events leading up to and after Christmas, and that includes Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Boxing Day. Here's ANZ Australia economist Maddie Dunk. Fashion retailing is very soft right now. We're seeing that it's down, you know, around 10% during that Black Friday period and down 16% year on year over 
the Boxing Day sale that we had. But then you compare that to electronic spending and department store spending, which have been a lot more robust and have actually performed reasonably well over these key trading days. Number five, the big decision to watch in Asian trade today is the Bank of Japan's policy decision, which is widely expected to be no change in its main policy rate, which is still negative. ANZ's head of FX research, Marjabin Zaman, doesn't see a change in that policy rate until maybe April, with the main focus before then on the Shinto national wage negotiations in March. Last year, we saw, I think, about 3.8% of wage increases across the board um, on Shinto. What would be important to see how they continue, if they continue to rise from there and, and what that means for the real wages uh, in Japan. Um, based on most recent data, you know, real wages are still deeply negative for Japan. And as a result, um, don't think or don't expect the Bank of Japan to, you know, continue to hike rates after they make the initial shift in April. Now, in part one of our bonus deep dive interview on the problems brewing inside China's workforce, ANZ's chief economist for Greater China, Raymond Yung, focuses on the number of unemployed rural workers now stuck in China's cities without jobs. We all know the uh, demographic challenge facing China. Aging population and the shrinking population to uh, last year, China lost 2 million people in terms of the total populations. But at the same time, we also know that um, the uh, labor market is under very strong cyclical downturn, which means that unemployment is actually very high. Even though uh, the December urban survey jobless rate was reported as 5.1%. Doesn't seem to be very high, and it's just 0.1 percentage point higher than the previous month. The reality is that many rural workers may not be captured by these official statistics. So on one hand, in the longer term, we have been concerned about the shrinking population and the workforce. At the same time, cyclically, the uh, workforce is under a strong, you know, uh, surplus labor uh, situation. So, so how China is going to manage both would be a very um, challenging uh, policy question to uh, to Beijing. Could you tell us about the comparison between China's rural and urban economies, with, in some ways, some of the similarities between the United States and Mexico? I highlight in the research notes that uh, when we look at the uh, urban rural labor market and, and the workforce mobility um, in developing economics, that's I've learned, you know, two or three decades ago that you know, at that time people used to uh, look at the Mexican labor force and how that can augment the uh, U.S. economy. When China opened up, that's also a typical, you know, comparison for the uh, rural worker working in the urban area. Uh, in the case of China, it's, of course, it's uh, much more mobile because there, is, there isn't really a boundary between the rural area and the urban area. And in China, there are currently close to 300 million of rural workers working, uh, residing in the urban area. And uh, that's huge. And, and we talk about almost close to 40% of the labor force, of the, of the workforce. And China's benefit from uh, these strong rural workers, uh, there's a technical term uh, in economics, we call it Lewis 
turning point. Before 2015, you know, there are still a lot of rural workers trying to get a job in the urban area. But after after 2015, probably because of the downturn of the economy or maybe because of the asking price or the working condition in the area is not that attractive, then we have seen that less and less uh, rural workers are willing to work uh, in the urban area. And that's the reality of the labor market. And uh, I see this as a very significant implication, not only for China, but also for the global economy. Because as you know, that the Chinese supply chains is uh, is part of the global you know uh, economy and that's helped the world in terms of supply of uh, consumer goods and uh, whatever goods you can think of you know from factories are actually coming from China and uh, so these 300 million uh, rural workers workforce that um, been currently in a surplus situation at the same time under a, a shrinking condition in the longer term will have a significant implication uh, to world's economy and uh, inflation and also, you know, the growth and many macroeconomics uh, condition will also be relating to um, the uh, Chinese workforce. Raymond Yung there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Tuesday, January the 23rd. Catch you tomorrow with the latest on Australian business confidence in part two of our interview with Raymond in which he talks about the deflationary risks in China. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.